0: Welcome back to the PTC podcast. I'm here today with Caroline Leon. Hello, Caroline.
1: Hi. How are you? I'm good.
0: It's been a while. This is your second uh, appearance.
1: It is. If you
0: remember, the first one was quite a while ago. we uh, were on 60-something episodes. I would say you're in the first 10 episodes way back, um, 2016 or 17.
1: Oh, wow. That was a long time ago.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe earlier. Uh, back then, you were talking a little bit about your accident. Mm-hmm. So do you want to, with that said, do you want to briefly introduce yourself, whichever way you like to give your intro, tell everyone um, who you are and what you're doing?
1: I thought this was your job, Keith. You were meant to introduce me. Yeah,
0: sure. All right. Well, Caroline had an accident. Uh, people don't want to hear me talk. I know. Caroline had a rock climbing accident 2015 or 16, and then we met for through rehab training. And... Uh, what was it? What, it, what was the... the t- you broke your feet, you broke your pelvis, you broke your back.
1: hmm Yeah.
0: Um, so, spine r- new spine, new hips, new feet.
1: All metal. <laughs> yeah. Bionic.
0: And then learn to walk, hydrotherapy, all that stuff. Then came to me a um, long time ago. And now you are a mountain climber.
1: Mm, yeah. I d- have no idea how that happened.
0: When do you think it happened? When do you think you made the switch
1: mm. <clears throat> um, to be honest with you I'm not sure it was just a really <clears throat> gradual progression into doing something that felt right for me at the time and I think it's hard to understand um, if you haven't been through something extremely traumatic and life altering like a ginormous accident that puts you in a wheelchair for two years but uh when you do start to come out of it, it's really like, particularly for me, it was about reshaping my life. And I, I didn't know how to do that at the time. And uh, walking was kind of something that felt right. And I have no idea how the mountaineering thing came into being. But I do remember having this idea to, that I wanted to go and climb all the mountains in the Middle East. And the more that I sat with it, the more that it actually like it woke me up and it made me come alive. And it was kind of this really gradual process of like starting to come alive. And I just kept doing the things that made me feel alive. And at the time it was being in the mountains and being in nature. And I just, I loved the experience of traveling and the experience of like being able just to be in these crazy wild places and in the wilderness and so remote and so like out of left field of what anybody was doing at the time and it just made me really come alive and the mountains were a part of that
0: had you done any mountain climbing before your accident
1: yeah so i i had climbed machu picchu and uh and uh kilimanjaro And so I had done those quite a few years earlier and at the time I was quite involved with golf for good before I had my accident. And um, I was doing a lot of adventures for them and hiking and stuff like that, but nothing as serious as it's kind of turned into at the moment. It really reshaped my life.
0: How was your first experience of Kilimanjaro?
1: Uh, (laughs) to be honest with you so we did the Marengo route and the group was amazing I actually bought a photograph um, of Kilimanjaro and I got everybody in our team to sign it it was with Golf for Good in 2012 and the experience was so beautiful that it really imprinted something into me And I had such a beautiful experience. It's on my wall, this picture, with all these signatures from our team on the back. Um, It was amazing. It was very hard. And I remember it being so cold. Um, I didn't have the right gear. So when I was on the summit, I was freezing. Um, And I couldn't wait to get off the summit. But I remember we got there just before sunrise. And we'd done the Marengo route. So we had to do Gilman's Point and then traverse the... Well, sorry, walk around the crater. And uh, we got there just as the sun was rising and it was freezing. Um, But yeah, it was a good feeling. It was a very good feeling.
0: How many times have you summited Kili now?
1: God, I don't know. I think it's probably five, maybe. (laughs) Maybe six. Maybe five.
0: Has it got just easier and easier or
1: Um, is it different each time? It's definitely different, which is unusual because... Uh, you think that it would be the same experience over and over again. But it's it's different. And I think what's happened is that now that I go there quite a lot, it's definitely a lot easier. And now I see other people struggling and finding it really hard. And I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I remember that used to be me.
0: Do you think that's a mental thing that you know what to expect? and like, Or do you think it's you are just much more fitter and a better... Mountaineer now at this stage?
1: Oh, I'm definitely not fitter. Like before my accident, I was in much better shape. It's more that I know what's coming and that I know what to do when all the peaks and troughs come. Um, I know how to handle like when I'm not feeling great or handle when you start sleepwalking. Um, or when you feel low energy, or when your mind starts to waver, I, I understand the techniques and the strategies to do and to implement really quickly, um, so that I don't fall into a slump.
0: So, what do you mean sleepwalking?
1: <laughs> like, so for example, on lots of mountains, you barely sleep as you get higher up in altitude, and you sleep so sparingly and so badly that when you gets to summit night and you leave at midnight or 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning and you head to the summit after 6 or 7 or 8 hours there are moments where your eyes are just closing for a minute and you're like oh just one second i'll just close them for one second and i'll walk and it's so dangerous and not advisable not advisable
0: the guys were saying that i remember when we did Kili the first year when I think that was your – was, it was post-lockdown, so it was 2021. Uh, but, yeah, the guys came back off the summit, and we're all talking about how they were just nodding off on the yeah. sleep. And I was the complete opposite. I was so wired and so wide awake and so, like, amped up. I think I went the other way. I went. I burned off too much energy mm. just being too, too let's go. Ah. Um, the
1: adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. the
0: adrenaline. Because I really thought the first day that we went, the first time that we went, the first summit night was – Such a memorable experience, just those few minutes before you move. So you're outside the tent, everyone's got their headlights on, everyone's like wide eyed and nervous looking at each other. And uh you just have to just you just know you're going up and when you look up you just complete darkness and as if maybe a few lights or whatever, really far away. They're just like tiny stars together. And then you just start walking, marching into the darkness. I thought that was super cool. So that the whole time for me was just what I was thinking about. But everyone else was like, No, I've just fallen asleep on my poles Mm. um well we did that 2021 that was your first because it was your expedition it must been the first attempt at your seven summits yeah that you had to postpone yeah Yeah. because we decided me you and taz were on the beach we decided we'd take a trip and go with you Mm. and then that sort of opened the floodgate for everything that we've had since Mm. yeah um because people loved it so much I mean, when we came back people were so interested in going and it was so, so much in line but what we want to do is get people doing bigger and better things than just getting in on the scales all the time um so going back to the, the first question you don't really know when you made the switch from
1: i definitely i know the period it was around 2019 um And it was around that time that I was walking, I was trying to learn how to walk properly because I had a very pronounced Trendelenburg gait and so it used to really annoy me when people used to ask me like what's wrong with your leg and I still get it sometimes and it still really like angers me because I'm like shit it's still there Um, but it used to be very pronounced that I couldn't hide it and now normally if I concentrate a lot I can hide it so I have to think a lot but at the time what I didn't realize is that actually when you damage nerves they take so long to heal it's such a slow process of waking a nerve up and waking up an area of your body and my leg had essentially just because it uh so to speak it detached from the other part of my body like my pelvis broke in such a way that my right pelvis was not connected to the rest of my body via bone and it did something to the nerves of my leg that just made them just dead so they wouldn't work or function or like i could move my leg but it just couldn't move normally because something was wrong and i still haven't worked out exactly what it was but there are certain movements that are just not easy and um i've lost my train of thought please re
0: (laughs) well i remember when we were training that there was like one whole section of movement where your leg would just switch off and go limp
1: Oh yeah, so it still has sections that it does that, yeah. and sections where it's still a lot weaker. So you asked me when when I yeah you're decided, talking about, your limb. You're talking about yeah. your, the limp that you had, um and I wanted to get rid of that. And what I read was that in order to make something better, you have to you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. So I started walking a lot, and uh, I remember I think I've told this story many times. My friend had done a Guinness World Record. Uh, They had gotten a quad bike and gone all around Africa and Europe. And when I went to Australia, and I was still limping really badly. He's my best friend. I love him dearly. Um, He suggested that we go climb Mount Kosciuszko in Australia. So it's one of the seven summits, but the Baz version. And... Uh, we went and we climbed it. We got to the top and it was the most exhilarating feeling I r- remember, even though I was limping all the way there. And on the way back when we started coming down, I just couldn't walk anymore. And I remember like bursting into tears and he had to piggyback me and then we had to get the park rangers to come and How get us How high is the mountain? It's uh, not very high. It's 2,200 meters. So it takes about six or seven hours to hike up.
0: So, so, like from the car park.
1: Yeah, from the car park. So you can do it in a day. Yeah. But it's still, you know, six or seven hours is a long walk yeah, yeah. for someone who's just limping. learned how to walk. Yeah. And limping, and you know, my feet were still swelling like pineapples. Um, so when we when we came down, I just it made me feel alive and it made me feel amazing and I was like, oh, okay, I need to do more of the things that make me feel really good. And it's around that time where I was like, okay, I'm going to go climb all the mountains in the Middle East. In part because they were so little and easy. And yeah. I thought that they were doable. Even though there there were two really big ones in there. Like Mount Ararat and uh, Mount Amavand. They're still quite high.
0: Not only the height of the mountains aside, there's loads of them when you do all of the mountains in the Middle East. And then a lot of them are in war zones. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not. So it's almost the mountain is the easiest part, and once you're there,
1: totally, it's just
0: the easiest bit is to keep walking. But the rest of it is quite the challenge.
1: Oh, completely! Like in Iraq, you're walking past like a a landmine infested zone. Um, that so, is. So
0: briefly go through it then, just like you did. First one was Turkey
1: mm-hmm so yeah so basically I was doing a version of the Middle East that included um, the uh, Turkey and Egypt and the Arabian Peninsula and um, and I can't remember, there's certain geographical explanations of the Middle East. It's the, either the Arab world, it's a geopolitical, it's a political only or a religious only. And I chose one of the three variations um, and did that variation. So I went to Turkey to climb Mount Ararat. And I, from memory, I think that's 5,400. It's a snow-capped mountain, really cold at the top, very beautiful. But again, it's in a very remote area, a rem- an area of Turkey that's politically very unstable has a lot of issues the mountain had been closed for several years they weren't issuing permits so I actually went in there illegally (laughs) I found a local guide that was happy to take me and kind of like snuck my way into the mountain without a proper permit or anything was very very sketchy but when I got there I realized that there were quite a few people there quite a lot of Iranians and Turkish people that just climbed the mountain anyway because it's not properly managed um so it didn't matter in the end if you had a permit or not uh then I went to Iran straight afterwards and climbed Mount Amaban the first time it's I've also been to that country many times and uh and then I went to uh I think it was Jordan Jordan and Egypt and Saudi Arabia and Iraq um yeah so then ended up going around the rest of the Middle East climbing the mountains and progressively they got smaller and smaller until I got to the UAE Oman uh and obviously Qatar and Kuwait and Bahrain they're all like little baby hills yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Because um, then, yeah, we some of us joined you for the UAE one, mm-hmm. whatever date that was yeah. that year. So from there, then um, that was I'm just thinking about the timeline. Then so it you did that
1: in a month, so it would have been October.
0: So that was all one month.
1: Yeah, so I started at the on the first of September and finished roughly 30 days later.
0: So by that time, you've already you'd already done two of the seven summits. Kili and the Australian one. Yeah. So what's the Baz you were telling me?
1: So there's two two versions of the Seven Summits. Uh, one is a Baz version. It's called the Baz version, and the other one I can't remember the the name for it. But basically, one includes Karsten's uh, Pyramid, and the other one includes uh, Kosciuszko. And it's just a a debate about is it the Oceanic Plate or the Australian Plate? Because technically the karstens pyramid is in indonesia and that's in asia um and so technically uh, Kosyosko is the highest in in like australian continent yeah. yeah
0: so from that one you've done now you've done uh, Kili, keely what are the ones from that list what are their mountains on the seven summits
1: uh so it is the normal seven summits it's just the difference is Kosciuszko. so it's uh everest Killy, Elbrus, uh carstens or Kosciuszko, um denali vincent and i think that's it that's seven
0: and vincent is the one in antarctica so you've, you've mm-hmm. done the, you've done the seven summits or the volcanic summit and so much.
1: Yeah, it's a now, different Now, which is yeah. different. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's Kili, Elbrus...
1: Are you asking me what the volcanic yeah, seven summits yeah. are? Um so the volcanic seven summits are the highest volcano in each of the seven continents. And it's very similar to the volcanic to the seven summits, except you climb the highest volcano rather than the highest mountain. And in some places they overlap. So it is um, Mount Elbrus in Russia, which is the Europea- Europe's highest volcano and mountain. Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, which is the highest volcano or mountain in Africa. Um, Pico de Orizaba in uh, Mexico, which is the highest volcano in North America. Ojos de Salado in South America. Mount Sidley in Antarctica. And Mount Kiloe in Papua New Guinea.
0: So what's Antarctica like?
1: Uh, Antarctica's uh, beautiful. It's very beautiful. It's very cold. Um, Yeah, it's very beautiful. It's like being on another planet. It's just very picturesque and snow and blue ice everywhere and yeah you just you have to really think about certain things like when you can't just go outside without proper clothes like you need to make sure that you you're wearing enough because the weather can change really quickly and but other than that it's very beautiful
0: how many days was that whole expedition
1: in antarctica yeah. it's uh 10 10 days two weeks roughly yeah
0: and you're in the bottom of nowhere and there's no no nighttime or no daytime
1: uh there's no so you go in the summer so there's no uh nighttime
0: yeah there's no it's all daytime yeah what's that like trying to sleep did that affect any of the like did you suffer from that do you notice anything different
1: um so i guess maybe what i'll say is that uh so after obviously going to the all the mountains in the middle east then i did the volcanic seven summits and so going to antarctica was a part of that and uh, sleep wise it can be challenging to sleep yeah it can be very challenging just because it's always daylight so you don't actually realize when it starts to get dark so it could and if you're not you're not looking at your phone because there's no internet there even though now i've heard that they've put internet there in, in Union Glacier Camp but there's no internet so you're not looking at your phone so you have absolutely no concept of time because it's always daylight so you might wake up at like six in the morning and and then go have breakfast at eight and then you, whilst you're waiting to go to, out to the mountain um you're kind of a diddle- lot diddly diddly daddling around camp and uh yeah you have no idea what time it is you have to keep like having a look like oh is it lunchtime what time is it and after dinner you're just like either we were playing cards the whole time so we had no idea look at the clock and it was three in the morning
0: oh really yeah and how high is that mountain or the volcano
1: uh, the the volcano is four thousand four hundred meters, but it's almost. What's interesting about it is it gives you an idea of what like an eight thousand meter mountain would be like, not in terms of the altitude, but in terms of the conditions, because the conditions get so cold that it's it gives it that feel to it. So, for example, like my my goggles completely like froze on the inside so no matter how much I cleaned them I couldn't get them to stop fogging up and not just fogging up but fogging up and freezing and then you know you, you're using your breath to try and defog them but then it just f- like freezes straight away um, and things like you know how to protect your hands like you can't have any part of your face exposed to the cold because you get like black spots immediately and uh, so it really yeah it really gives you this idea of what what those really high mountains would be like in terms of it's the same temperature even though it's not the same altitude
0: yeah and was it is it wind chill or is it just no matter what it's freezing um
1: look no matter what it's freezing but then there's also wind and the wind makes it really like very harsh even though we had really great weather it was it was very cold it was minus 30 on the summit uh, but a proper minus 30 without wind chill and we had very little wind so just naturally it's sitting at minus 30 whereas you go to other mountains and the temperature is like Oh 10 or minus 10 Or something along those lines But then the wind chill makes it minus 30 Whereas here it's like Oh no it's actually just minus 30
0: And do you notice Do you feel any like residual pain Or stiffness or whatever From your accident In your, in your joints In your feet In your hip On uh, these y- mountains
1: uh, Yeah all the time Like um, my body's adjusting ad- Adjusting all the time so it's not like for example the issue the problem that i have the most is probably my feet and so they get really stiff and if i haven't gotten used to walking like a big distance like say for example um when we went to everest base camp uh like the distances are quite long and i hadn't like been doing a lot of long distance training and so when we went into that then my feet were really sore and they get really stiff and so there's like there's always that or always this thing that I'm adjusting to so it's never constantly gone but um what's good is that it's always getting better even though it's never away like for example before both my feet used to hurt all the time and it was actually my left foot that used to hurt more and now the the pain in my left foot is completely gone and my left foot doesn't cause me any problems it's just in my right foot and it's just in this one particular space so it's overall it's moving in the right direction but just very slowly
0: what is it now nearly 10 years yeah and the right leg took more of a the right foot took more did you have more surgeries more more like initial trauma in that
1: yeah my right foot had uh so my left foot had two surgeries and my right foot i think had seven so it had a lot more yeah yeah seven or
0: yeah significantly more anyway
1: yeah seven or five something along those lines yeah it had more and it just took more of a beating like my f- whole foot shattered and then i had tendons that got stuck inside the bone when they adhered so my foot's very different shape and structure and it's very stiff and it's yeah it just moves and behaves really differently but you're boring people with talking about my feet no
0: no look it's one of those things where we've had this shot a few times where it's like look you're you're obviously used to talking about it and you find it boring but there's people who kind of need to be reminded of these things, that there's people who go through this kind of trauma and they don't let it bury them down, you know, there's there's, I was listening to a podcast recently where the guy was saying how most people, by the time they get to 35, 40, that's them for the remainder of their life. That's, they've got their habits, they've got their routines, they've got their personalities and it usually takes some significant trauma, He said it's either trauma or some level of like a psychedelic out of body experience or an an alien encounter, but it takes some level of severe trauma for them to change beyond a 35 year old kind of human state. So I think the more people can listen to stories, you you need to be reminded that like what what people are going through, everyone's got their own struggles. And some people need to kind of reframe where they're at with their own little Strife and uh, and stress, and then be inspired by. And the only way they get to be inspired is by hearing the stories. Because mm. um, you're up there on those mountains. You're not only are you trying to manage the typical things like fatigue, uh, the cold, the altitude. You've also got to manage your feet and whatever else you've got mm. hurting you and all those things. So one of one of the things I've heard you talk a lot about is, and obviously you're someone who has experienced it. So you're Pardon the pun. You're literally walking the walk, but it's the it's the sort of post traumatic stress versus post traumatic growth. Yeah. Mm. So, do you want to just like, what does that mean to you?
1: Mm. Um, I think to me, to me personally, um, it's an interesting one. I haven't really thought about this in detail. So you're the first person that's asking me about this. Or spoken about it. Um, So, for me personally, when after I had my accident, I I almost felt like at some somewhere along the line, I was having a lot of very deep existential questions, and they included like, "What am I doing with my life? What is my purpose? What am I meant to be doing? Like, why did I not die?" I hear stories of people who, you know, slip down the stairs and fall down and break their neck and die or small little incidences and they lose their life. And here I was. I had fallen like twelve seven to twelve meters, whatever it was, from a wall onto gravel I had 14 surgeries and 23 blood transfusions and I'm still here. I've had everything replaced. How the hell am I still alive? Like that question used to sit so heavily on me because I felt like it was pushing me towards this looking for a purpose in in life and looking for deeper meaning. And I realized that I couldn't find it on my own because there was no real answer. There was no God that was sitting up there going, you know, you've survived this because I want you to do this magical thing. Like that's not how it happened at all or that's not what transpired. But what it did made me realize is that I did have to find the deeper reasons for for what I was doing um, in my life. And one of the things that I almost promised myself at the very beginning was I did this to myself because I was stupid and foolish and I owe it to myself to be better than I was when I started and physically that hasn't manifested because how can you ever be physically stronger or better than when you start but there are many other ways to be better And uh, the road that I ended up going down was finding like a lot of plant medicine, using plant medicine as a vehicle to be able to discover the deeper meaning of things. And I did a lot of hypnotherapy and regression therapy. And it culminated to this point where I realized, okay, so we all have these episodes in our lives where something bad happens, whether somebody dies of cancer or whether your loved one dies or your friends die or you lose your job or something, someone betrays you or you have a car accident or we all have different ways that life tests us and we experience trauma and it really is about what you do with that afterwards that either makes you grow or it makes you descend into some form of like depression or darkness or or something along those lines. And at the time that I had my accident, I could see myself going down this perpetual path that was leading in a direction that was very, I won't say negative, but it was very dark. And... Um, when I started doing plant medicine, I realized that there was an ulterior, an ulterior path to that, but that I still had to go through the darkness to come out, out of it, to be able to, to do that. And it's a very confronting place, um, to go through kind of this point of darkness, all on your own, to find answers to things that you don't even know are are there. And What ended up happening for me personally is that I realized that I wanted to grow because it was very clear that if I didn't grow, this was going to be the defining point of my life. And I was either going to stay in a wheelchair forever or I was going to have a life that is not what I wanted for myself. And I realized, okay, well, if I move in this direction – and if I do everything in my power to bring the fragmented parts of me together into this whole place, that I could move beyond what had happened to me and, and grow from it. Um, And it's interesting because to this day, I still feel like my accident was probably the best thing that ever happened to me in a very bizarre, weird way, because it pushed me to those very deep and dark places that, you know, I ended up growing from. Um, And later on, obviously, uh, I did a lot of regression therapy and hypnotherapy and a lot of normal cognitive therapy and a lot of plant medicine. And uh, and somehow it led me into this place where I started doing a master's in, in transpersonal psychology. And th- once I got there, I started to realize the science of it. Th- there's actually studied science to this. And it is called post-traumatic growth or post-traumatic stress. And so people have incidences in their lives like trauma or something that happens. And you either descend or you grow. Um, and it's people study it all the time when people survive um say an avalanche on a mountain or they survive these very very traumatic experiences like coming back from war or you know getting divorced or something along those lines and uh, it either makes you grow or it makes you go down
0: it's interesting because there's there's parallels like obviously everybody's trauma and their story is a bit different, but for the people who sort of make it to the, the Ted talks or they make it to the documentaries or whatever that you o- often hear the f- phrase or the term, like I made a decision mm. to not fall down, whatever succumb to this, or I made a decision to not die. I made it, I made a decision to live. It's like they flipped the switch in their head mm. and the passive non-action was going to take them to a point where they were going to disintegrate if they just stayed if they didn't make that decision
1: well what's really interesting is that if you imagine imagine like two people standing on the top of a mountain right it's i'm using this analogy because it's easy but it's also very like metaphorical um you can snowball down and, and just let that action propagate this downward direction. And you're right, it is no action. Um, but it's also the easier path. Or you can continue to push something upwards. And the pushing upwards is the, the work that you put into it, into getting out of that. Because it really takes so much sustained effort. You have to be so conscious of what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're doing to yourself and what you're saying to yourself and what you're doing to other people. And it's it's about so much self-reflection but then also starting to to see what that does to other people um, around you. And so it's it takes so much effort and I think that's why a lot of people don't choose it because – to stay in this moment, like for example, a lot of research says that post-traumatic um, stress disorder is uh, has a lot to do with like mental toughness and how your mind is thinking. And if you ruminate on issues or if you stay focused on problems, that those things can propagate that downward spiral. Whereas, say if we're taking that analogy of pushing a ball up, up a mountain, to To make that decision is to go, okay, I'm going to push the ball up the mountain, but then I constantly have to work to keep moving in that direction. And eventually it is the easier path because your life gets better, but... Um, it is strategies like, you know, mental tough strategies which are not focusing on problems but focusing on solutions and moving away from the the brooding or the ruminations and moving to a place of action that reorientates your, your thinking. So there's, there's a lot of mental strategies that either push you in one direction or the other. Unfortunately, we're not really taught any of these things no one ever teaches you how to do them you either inherently have them or you learn them from other people or from books or uh, things like that for me what I found really powerful was that there was there was no way that I wasn't going to start moving or walking in that direction and like I may You're right, I made a decision to do that, but then I actually had to fully walk it because if you don't fully walk it, you don't really heal. Um, And that was obviously my ultimate goal was not to do anything else, but just to, to change myself because I owed it to myself, right? Well, that's how I felt anyway. I owed it to myself to look, I made this mistake and I really fucked up. And I owe it to myself to to try and push out of it, and in the end, it worked out for the best.
0: Yeah, I mean, but, so there's, I totally get what you're saying because it is that same thing. People decide or or like no action. The no go is just going to take you down a different a different pathway. But then there's people who, and this is kind of like where my experience um, overlaps some of what you've been through is just helping people and dealing with people who who are hurt hurt and injured and some are simple some are complex and and whatever from the previous work I've done some people just want to get to a stage level 3 out of 10 because level 3 is they get to move around their house pain free they get to whatever they're not, they get to sleep they get to they get to do all the basic things some people want to get to 5 where they're you know still doing the things that they used to do mm. and then some people want to push on and like you mentioned you want to be better than you were before. Firstly, as we get older, we all go downhill. So like there's that aspect. I
1: I don't I don't agree with that. I I think if you're looking at in a classical perspective, yes. If you're only thinking in a one-dimensional sphere, that's physicality. Spe- yes, but, that's what that was what, what I was referring to. Yes, physically. but if you if you change that sphere and you start to look at oh well, there's this sense of wisdom and compassion and understanding and empathy and like deep value. There there are so many other elements that actually it's like a good wine; they mature, um, and I don't think those things get or decline. Is my point?
0: Yeah. I'll sure grant you that what I was actually speaking one-dimensionally about the physical. <laughs> we slow down, we fatigue out earlier, all those things in general, broadly speaking, as we get older. Um, I
1: think we change Is is not like, look, things definitely change. But I, I think it's the change that propagates things to re-steer their lives rather than like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a professional football player up until my 80s. Yeah. Like, of course, there's a lifespan for that. But I think people change and want different things and, and obviously the physicality part is a, a facet of that. Oh, anyway.
0: oh, no, no. Yeah, look, you can also change for the better mm. because your mindset might might want you to go... And in your 20s, party a lot, a lot mm. you know, stay up and you, you just, you don't know, really take care of yourself. But then when you get to 30, you get a little bit wise, you get to 40. Now you're making way better decisions. So mm. your physicality does change. But it's that like that yeah. overall what you're.
1: But look, it's it's like, for example, you and I sitting here now I, I can sit here and find everything that's wrong with this moment. Or, or I can sit down here and find everything that's right with it. And just that simple action in itself is exactly what I'm talking about, like post-traumatic growth or post-traumatic stress. St- stress one of them is gonna like find everything that's wrong with this moment and brew on it and like i want to fight with you about the the coffee is not right and this is in the wrong position you bought and coffee. <laughs> no, no, i know, i'm <laughs> just giving examples but or i can sit here and just you know be like oh this is perfect like the it's, perfect. Great. it's like, perfect we'll use that on the clip yeah
0: <laughs> the per- most perfect podcast
1: i know but do you see yeah. that just like just that mindset just that thing is the the one thing that changes things now like i can do this for myself and for myself only but getting other people around you to also see that is completely it's that doesn't work at all
0: well i think it, it the only way it works is i don't know if, there, if osmosis is the right way but it's these kinds of things you know not that there's not that this is a massively widespread podcast but these it's conversations right. that <laughs> that you have because people uh i can tell people all the motivational stuff i can tell them what they need to do to get through trauma and then you can tell them the exact same thing and it's way more powerful coming from you because you have done it do you know what, what where am i talking from i read it in a book where, where did i get yeah. my info from you've done it you've experienced it you're living it. It's it's like it's a full reality of where you're at now. It's here in front of the people, speaking to them.
1: Yeah, because you you manifest it within your psyche. Like that, there's something that changes for sure in that experience. But
0: well, what do you see? Do you see any parallels between the version of you now and the version of you before your accident? Like what bits of you are the same? What bits do you think are still connected?
1: Look. In terms of my personality, my personality is still the same. I'm still a pain in the ass, basically. But in terms of um, my psyche inside, it's radically different. Like inside of myself, I'm so different to how I used to be. Because before my accident, I would almost akin it to there existed lots of sub-personalities and just like there are for everybody. So in psychology, we have this very good example. Um, It's a very easy example to say, so say people come to you because they wanna lose weight, right? Um, and in one moment they're coming to the gym and training and then in the next moment they're eating a piece of cake, right? That's a subpersonality, Two parts of your psyche that are doing two different things and working towards different goals. And most of the time we don't see them and we don't acknowledge them because they're relatively benign. Um, but when you have an accident, those subpersonalities, there one is working towards your progress and the other one is working towards your detriment and they start to become very apparent and it's almost like you have a part of your psyche that's splintered uh, because that same sub-personality that was eating the piece of cake and the same sub-personality that was going to the gym, then now one is doing hydrotherapy and the other one is like, oh, I'm going to go kill myself. Do you know they, they start to really splinter off into these very, very pronounced, um, pronounced kind of elements within your system. What's interesting about that is going through the whole process of – Um, doing plant medicine and doing like sessions and doing all of this very deep mental work is that they collapsed and came into harmony with each other. And that is the biggest difference from the me of today to the me of before. So even though physically I was in much better shape and I was a lot thinner and I was younger and like all of this other stuff, I'm a lot wiser and more cohesive as a person internally i can like say okay i i don't want to do this and my actions will reflect that whereas before i would say that i didn't want to do something but my actions wouldn't reflect that so i'm much more cohesive and uh and also mindful in terms of like i know that some people don't see see it potentially but internally within myself the things that I do and say to other people and how I behave around people they sit very heavily on me and I'm very conscious and aware of those things and I try and do my best all the time even though it doesn't always come across that way whereas before I wouldn't give a shit like I wasn't interested if I was doing my best I'm like oh like you don't like me too bad (laughs) whereas now I'm very aware and conscious of those, the ramifications of how you treat people and what you do to other people and so it, it sits very heavily. Unfortunately, I take it personally, which I shouldn't, but um, they're just some of the, the differences between me now and then. So even though physically I'm very different, I'm a little bit rounder and a little bit more deformed and scarred and but internally it's, yeah, it's very different. Does uh, that answer your question? Yeah. So then, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, because we spoke right right at the beginning of when you were, I think you just come off a crutch, and uh, I do kind of remember you like struggling with the why did this happen? Mm. Do you know back then? and uh
1: you've known me a long time so you would have seen some of this progression yeah now when i say i don't want to do something i really i mean it my actions reflect that whereas i'm sure before i was doing something else and saying something else like i don't know we've been good friends for a while
0: yeah no like back there was the initial period i remember where you were you were just still uh, obviously in the darkness of it all do you know um you were very worried, concerned about your limp. I definitely remember that. But the other stuff where I was just, I think you were just trying to find meaning. Just not enough time mm. had passed for you to yeah. sort of give yourself the confidence that that uh, this is not going to be you forever. You are not going to be paying for
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting is at the beginning I was very hung up on the physicality of it. Like I'd been someone that had grown up with, and I, I think this happens to a lot of women, it's our value is weighted on how we look and how thin we are and how pretty we are and when you have all of that taken away from you and you're now in a wheelchair and you're 30 years old and you're like oh like how how can I weigh my value if I can't walk and I look like shit and I'm scarred and deformed like that was a very very deep and very real process and i think when i met you that's w- where i was at because i couldn't walk and it's shit basically
0: mm. yeah well i don't know if you if had a, you had articulated that level of of detail then but it was clear that you're i think you were also very much like uh upset at yourself for doing it to yourself Mm. was a big thing and you weren't giving yourself any credit for how far you had come already in the journey at the point that we met
1: yeah, I understand that. But look, that for me was about taking responsibility. And because I what I didn't want to do is blame anybody else. I didn't want to say, oh, this was your fault or your fault or that mm. fault. It was like, this is actually really my fault. I did this. I made every choice to get myself up that wall. And I made every choice leading up to it and after. So this is totally my fault. And I still... I still feel that way, and it's the the taking responsibility for my actions.
0: The way you're saying it now is different, is infinitely <laughs> different than the way you used to say. It. Probably, you used to say that exact type of phrase where you would be trying to convince me that behind all of that, the evaluation of you is that you're at fault. Whereas now it's like, listen, I did this. Because now, you know, you also did the next four years Mm. now. And now you're sitting having climbed some of the biggest mountains in the world and gone through those things. Whereas at the time you hadn't had that life experience. You had no idea where the future was going, but you were still very much almost like beating yourself back Mm. then. You know, like this is I did this. I deserve this. I'm trying to get out of it, but it's my fault. Whereas now it's you, you, you say the same kind of phrase with like a smile and a and a happiness.
1: Yeah, but look, I, th- I think it's like there's a five stages of loss. I really feel like there's the same thing when you go through some kind of trauma, you go through a, a process, an outlined process, and a part of it is a grief for a life that you used to have, and then figuring out who you are, moving forward, and that goes through its very various stages so perhaps what you were seeing is me right in the midst of those stages for sure
0: for sure for Um, sure
1: and unfortunately you can't you can't really hide them you know you can't speed them up either Yeah, you can't speed them up. You can't hide them. And and sometimes, unfortunately, particularly at the beginning stages, like, I remember being a bit of a monster. Like, I was not the best person when I was going through that whole process. I was not good to myself. And I wasn't good to the people around me. I was very fractured. And so it's, you're like that externally.
0: I think that does come from like you mentioned it's it's the grief for the life that you used to have is an interesting way to put it do you know it's like and you don't know then like you're still in the whirlpool mm. do you know you're trying you're you're th- you're not going down you're th- you're you're managing to stay in this line, trying to get to the surface to breach and then find a find a new direction and then o- n- i think you're you kind of demonstrating it earlier in the podcast where you're like you didn't want to talk about your accident mm. you're like you you you'd explain it because mm. I've talked about it enough. Like, it's almost now you're talking in a sense where you've moved out of that phase, Do you mm. know? You're, and we used to joke about it, how now you're reabled, not disabled.
1: Mm. And yeah. now you're very
0: much reabled.
1: Yeah. Uh. <laughs> My right foot would not agree with you, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah, so then you've got... And then that takes... Yeah, that takes us almost full circle to now like what what's next what's what have you got happening coming up
1: um in the short term i'm obviously planning to climb a lot of other mountains um and then you know someone asked me a really interesting question the other day they asked me like when you finish climbing all these mountains the highest mountains that you can possibly climb what are you going to do after this and i was like i'm just going to chill and be happy like I think I think it will be the culmination of everything coming to its closure. Um, so in the short term, I have plans to climb some very big mountains, hopefully, step into the sphere of the eight thousand metre mountains, and and post that. I have no idea. I'm gonna, you know, figure out what it is that feels right for me next and probably completely change course again and and keep moving in in a different sphere something that's meaningful and right and feels authentic and genuine so who knows
0: yeah no i get that that's kind of what we talked about after ever space camp is come back you've nothing in the diary and it's like all right well let's just let what let life wash past you and see what see what sticks and what direction you go in next.
1: Yeah, but I definitely think it's important to like have some kind of focus or direction yeah. because what's really interesting is that time goes quickly, and the older you get, the quicker it goes. And yeah. If you don't push yourself in a particular direction, you can get lost in the weeds.
0: Yeah, I realized this morning. Now we're in, it's like four years since COVID. Yeah. <laughs> No four way. Four years before COVID <gasps> seemed like a lifetime ago. Oh, wow. But four years since is not long. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for joining us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people follow you online and watch all your mountain videos and stuff?
1: Um, I'm a very bad mountain posting video person, but on Instagram, it's caroline.d.leon.
0: And you have YouTube?
1: I do. Yeah, same thing, Caroline Leon. <laughs>
0: okay cool so check it out and uh you also take people on expeditions so they can contact you directly if that tickles their fancy
1: on summitexped.com.
0: cool you can see what's uh what's on the calendar for the for this year
1: Mm
0: -hmm. awesome all right okay cool thank you guys see you next time bye